I think it's seven o'clock on the West Coast, 10 o'clock on the East Coast, 3 p.m. in London, 11 p.m. in Kyoto, Japan, 7.30 in Mumbai, India, and in Malaysia, it's like 1962. <laughs> I'm Jay Sheldon. I'm not wearing pants. Hi. <laughs> okay, here's why I seem a little confused tonight. I always load up this clock from Windows, which shows me all the times. I pretty much have it memorized, but because I do it every stream. But for some reason tonight, when I loaded up this time thing, it gave me the whole planet of all the different times. And it's not zoomed in. So, it, whatever. <laughs> and then I had uh, my stream set up. I started the go live. I hit the go live button. And uh, everything went. YouTube fired off, twitch.tv fired off, rumble fired off, and Facebook didn't. I don't know why, but now apparently it has gone off. So if you are watching on Facebook, great, welcome in, finally. I think we were a little delayed on the Facebook feed tonight. But then again, Facebook has been a little weird lately. Luna Amethyst, hello, yo. All right, good to see you uh, along for the ride, as always. And, of course, uh, hello to our podcast listeners across uh, all the different platforms, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon, iTunes, wherever you listen to your podcasts, we're there. And uh, thank you for your downloads and subscriptions on our uh, on our pod podcast. If you would like to watch the show, the visual show, then um, you can go to rumble.com slash Sheldon. And uh, that's where we are also live right now. But you can see all of our library of shows there, either Jay Sheldon or Jay Sheldon No Pants, two channels I have there. But now we're doing most of our live shows and all of our backup stuff is on the main Jay Sheldon channel. Uh, Luna says, uh, don't know when I'll bring back Tatiana, but will eventually. Maybe for a con, I'll bring out both my NSR co cosplays. Great idea and good luck with that. I understand the latest thing was that you were, you were going to be uh, Cliff, my voice character for, uh, <clears throat> for, um, for Halloween, which is cool. Thank you. Speaking of which, <laughs> as I told you before, I, I am much, much, much more active on Twitter these days. I have always had a Twitter account, but I never did anything with it. It just sat there. But lately, I have been fascinated by Twitter and been doing a lot of posting and been following a lot of people. Um, if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, please do. It's it's J Sheldon, I-T-S J Sheldon. You'll find me there at It's J Sheldon on Twitter. Uh, please do uh, give me a follow. I will always follow you back. I, I, I make a habit of doing that. And um, 
You'll also get notified through my Twitter account whenever we go live, because we always post a tweet that we are live. But one of the uh, amazing things that I've seen lately is exactly what you, you just mentioned, Luna. Um, no Straight Roads, which is the amazing video game that I'm one of the voices for the character Cliff in. Um, they're coming out with a uh, anniversary edition or some sort of special edition uh, very soon on stream. And um, so for Inktober, uh, I don't know much about Inktober, but if I'm not mistaken, Arttober or something, they uh, people do black and white pencil drawings, things like that, pen and ink uh, drawings, some amazing, amazing art. So they asked each one of the voice artists to contribute a piece of art for their postings on Twitter. No Straight Roads is what you want to search if you're looking for the, the, the Twitter feed. Um, so yes, I did, a, I did a piece of fan art, which is aptly titled I'm not an artist because I'm telling you some of these other voice talents and game designers and stuff. Whoa, my goodness. They did some amazing work. Of course, the fan art for No Straight Roads for over a year now has been phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. But yes, if you go to No Straight Roads on uh, their Twitter account, um, scroll down, you'll see just recently, I think yesterday, uh, my fan art, my art for Inktober or whatever it's called was just posted. And um, I'm not even, I'm not going to share it here on the stream. Go there, follow uh, No Straight Roads. While you're there, follow me at It's Jay Sheldon and uh, I'll follow you back. So check out, check out my attempt at a, uh, a piece of artwork. You will not be disappointed. <laughs> All right, it is time. Miko update. Miko update. Yes, and the little girl is doing fine. Uh, not a whole lot to update on Miko tonight. Uh, there she is in her missing dog.exec pose. She was asleep on the lawn uh, yesterday, so I grabbed a... Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's kind of an, a doggy X-rated picture, but uh, <laughs> if you're listening to the podcast, go to rumble.com slash jsheldon, our channel there, and you can uh, you can see the, uh, the picture. But um, she's doing well. However, I did get a piece of news today that uh, really burned my butt. You know... I told you, in fact, I showed you. Let me scroll down through here and, and get to, this is my Facebook page, actually. Uh, wow, it's a long way down, but you'll see from the last stream, uh, I posted pictures of her bath. And then I also here posted pictures from um, from a central park at Bandarutama, where she had a chance to meet a new friend. It's an amazing park. Dogs are welcome there. And in case you're in the U.S. or another country going, what do you mean dogs are welcome there? They're not welcome in all the parks? No, sadly, in Malaysia, that's not the case. Uh, there are only certain parks where you are allowed and in some cases encouraged to, uh, to bring your dogs. 
However, uh, I got the sad news that um, City Park at Bandar Utama, this is the one that has that enclosed fenced area. It's quite a big space where owners can let their dogs off leash because it's safe for them. Uh, it's all fenced in. They can't escape. They can interact freely. And Miko loves running in that area. She is one fast dog, I'm telling you. I mentioned this in our last stream that the, the other dogs cannot catch her. She's damn quick. But um, she, uh, anyway, she loves that spot. The owners are very responsible. They keep an eye on their dogs. Occasionally, you'll have a couple dogs that get overly excited and, you know, get a little bit of a growling contest going, but they're quickly separated and everything is fine. It's a brilliant, brilliant area. In fact, I almost prefer that area to Dessa Park City, which is another amazing park where it's dog friendly um, because of this off-leash area. Well, apparently, some like, I don't know this. I don't know the backstory, I am guessing, but this is usually how things like this work. Let me just pop this up full speed while I'm talking about Miko. Um, they shut down the fenced-in off-leash area. The whatever service, run, I don't know whether it's the city council, but they claim that the fenced-in area was built without a permit. Now, let me tell you, this is a professionally installed, huge fenced in area. It took a full work crew and probably a whole bunch of big equipment to create this area. I don't think it would have gone unnoticed. How this managed to happen without a permit makes no sense at all. And the fact is that it doesn't cause any trouble. It doesn't cause problems. Everybody gets along. It, it's just a non-issue. Likely, some idiot, some moron who has a, a black heart with no feelings. At, you know what? If, if you don't like animals, particularly dogs, go away. Don't watch my show. I don't need you in my audience. Just piss off. Go away. Stop watching the show. You're not welcome here. If, if you're that sort of black-hearted idiot, which is Nine times out of 10, that's what happens. Somebody has a little bone up their butt and they make a complaint and then things like this happen and everybody is the worse off for it. It is unbelievable that this kind of crap happened. I hope they get it resolved. I hope they get it fixed and they don't tear the thing down because we would all be at a horrible loss if that happened. And to whoever... If that is indeed what happened, whoever filed a complaint about it, that's for you. Go away. Leave. You're not welcome here. It's unbelievable the way things like this happen. Uh, oh, I do have pictures of the park. There you go. These are some of the shots from uh, propsocial.my. I'll put the link in our show notes tonight. You can check it out. They have all the dog-friendly. Dessa Park City is here. This is uh, Dessa Park City, which is beautiful. But uh, this is the park, Bandarotama, that I was uh, a little, little known to many, the dog-friendly park just beside the One Otama shopping mall. 
where acceptable, well-trained dogs uh, can be unleashed to mingle with other dogs. And it's a huge and spacious park. It is very nice. You'll see here some of the some of the shots of the different spots along the park. It's quite nice. And uh, that is, here we go, let's close that down. Uh, so please fix this and please get it straightened out. And uh, whoever has no heart, uh, go away. Okay, all right. So we kind of twisted Miko update into a little commentary on people who don't like animals, but it had to be said. Sorry, excuse me, little uh, coffee break time. By the way, if you would like to pick up a Miko mug, uh, there you go, it's our show logo and Miko on the mug, and mouse pads, stickers, jackets, hoodies, hats, you go to twitch.tv slash jsheldon, uh, I think Jay Sheldon no pants, and uh, check out our merchandise over there on the page. It's you got to dig around, I think it's in the about section, but you'll find it, twitch.tv slash, let's see, Jay Sheldon, no pants. Yes, I really need to get all of my, all of my URLs in the same language. <laughs> all right, you saw from our thumbnail tonight, maybe, a a big no Chinese. Well, that has to do with the uh, uh, one of the main topics we want to talk about tonight, and that is the unbelievable discrimination that happens in Malaysia. Look. Let me start this off by saying, I love this country. I better, I've been here next year, Lord willing, will be my 20th year in Malaysia. And I am proud to have been accepted as a semi-Malaysian. Uh, I've incorporated the culture as much as I can into my life. I love living here, I appreciate it. I spend all my money here, I pay my taxes here. Um, I do not comment because it's not my place as a, an expat to make comments about a lot of stuff that goes on here. But there are a few things that burn my ass that I will talk about, and this is one of them. And this has come up just in the last few days. Uh, this story is, um, is very recent. And uh, this is the headline. It's, again, a uh, hat tip to World of Buzz. You'll find a link in the show notes if you want to read the whole article. Uh, owner only wants Chinese tenants. No discrimination, ha, says property agent to Malaysian looking for rentals. And this is uh, what looks like a WhatsApp chat. Hi there, saw the ad on the PSJ9, or PJS9 room. Can I get more pictures and details on the housemate's mate. Sorry, may I know, are you Chinese, comes the reply. Cause the owner only wants Chinese, tenant. So I need to verify that first, no discrimination, ha. To which this person replied, wah, still got issues in finding house. No, I'm Indian. You say no discrimination? This one not discrimination, meh? Never mind. I don't already want that place. Well, good for you. And you'll see here, these signs, let me get my mouse back. These signs here are quite common. Not only here, but in ads online, you'll see it all the time. Nobody puts ads in the newspaper. Does anybody use a newspaper for ads, classifieds anymore? I don't think so. 
But you see the room for rent, Malaysia Chinese student only. It's things like this that truly make me appreciate my time, 50 over years I spent in the US, where something like this would, if it didn't wind up getting you an enormous personal lawsuit, it might likely get you arrested because this kind of crap is actually against the law in the US, something Malaysians could learn from. But uh, racism, is a, this is the article from World of Buzz, a concept that still exists in Malaysia and has disallowed certain races to be able to find somewhere to rent and in some cases even to get food. Unfortunately, the trend of racist property owners is apparently here to stay. No matter the number of advocacy tactics and campaigns that have been done in the past, and there have been a lot of them, there are still close-minded idiots out there who think like this. It is shameful. It is unbelievably shameful. And one such incident was just shared on social media and um, on Twitter. And uh, this person only wants to be known as ZG took Twitter took to Twitter to expose the disappointment as their search for a new place to stay was cut short by an unbelievably racist property owner. In the Twitter post, she said, I'm tired of this hit with an S, followed by a screenshot of the conversation between them and this uh, property agent, which I just read to you. This kind of crap goes on here all the time, and not just when it comes to property. Uh, the, other, the other one I wanted to share with you is a, an article from scmp.com. Again, you'll find the link in our show notes. And uh, again, it has to do with the racial divide here in this beautiful country that I call home. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm, I, my Malaysian flag has been flying out on my top deck for a long time, and it will continue to fly there. Uh, preacher on TikTok, a politician on Facebook sparks concern over Malaysia's racial divide. Two social media controversies have highlighted concerns about growing intolerance uh, if you don't know, if you're not from Malaysia, uh, we have three main races here, the Malays, the Chinese, the Indians, and then a Rojak mishmash of a bunch of other races. Um, in one, a preacher has accused Buddhist, Hindus, and Dayaks of killing Muslims. In the other, a Bursatu politician has used a derogatory term to describe a badminton player of ethnic Indian descent. Again, I'm not going to get into the whole article, but please, I encourage you to read this. scmp.com, you'll find the link to the article in, uh, in our show notes today. So check it out. Check out the, uh, the story. Um, thank goodness, at least a few people uh, are awake to the issue of racism and make in fact, you know, when it comes to social media, most of the people there don't put up with this bull hit with an S. Uh, they, they answer back. They, they straighten these morons out right quick. And thank you for that. Keep doing it. But also, uh, this article from Bernama.com, which is uh, one of our uh, MPs, racial slurs unacceptable 
in Malaysian culture. Yes, that quote from uh, Halima, um, a racist comment hurled at a national women's singles badminton player S. Kisona recently, not acceptable in Malaysia, which compromises people of different races and religions, and that from National Unity Minister Datuk Halima Sadiq. Thank you, Datuk Halima, for your words, uh, your kind words. She added, badminton has long been the sport that binds and unites all Malaysians. And how true is that? And the racist remark was totally unnecessary. Again, check that article out. A hat tip over to the folks at uh, Bernama.com where you can, you can find that. Oh, man, I'm telling you. It just had to be said, because something's got to be done. It's affecting nearly every area of life. The, the racism that, sadly, as many beautiful, amazing things this country has to offer, it also has a few not-so-beautiful things, and that's one of the big ones. And by the way, if, if you th think you've got it bad if you've suffered through not just the pandemic, but hard times in your life, you wonder how bad it can get. Well, a dear friend of mine, Irene uh, Hisham, Irene, love you to pieces. She posted some pictures of some folks who really do have it bad. And I want to share some of these with you. This is actually a Malaysian's home. Don't know what the race is, don't care, doesn't matter. What matters is this person is a citizen of this country. And for a citizen of this country to live like this is shameful. This is their kitchen. Check this out. Again, if you're on the podcast listening to the audio only, sorry, go to rumble.com slash Sheldon. Check out the video part of the show. I don't care you subscribe or not. I don't need the hits. It just you can even forward up to about twenty minutes, and you'll see these uh, these series of pictures. This is the kitchen, the wood stoves, in this uh, Malaysian's kitchen. Here's a bit of the kitchenette, which is just a bunch of plastic bags and cooking utensils hung on a very ramshackle walls. Um, this, believe it or not, is the toilet. There are more than a few people that still live in these conditions. I know this seems like the most, here's the outside of the toilet, which is protected from people's view by a bunch of banners they took from the side of the road, it looks like. Some uh, some posters and things. Uh, another view here of yet another toilet, again, protected by one of these banner things. Um, here's the clothesline strung out across the... Uh, palm trees and uh, the home itself which you know there you go built up and uh, another home here this is 2021 my friends almost 2022 and sadly we have people living here's look at the bedroom of the house there's no identifications here everything's been blanked out so like I said what race these people are doesn't matter. They're Malaysians. Hopefully there is somebody uh, somebody helping these people out, giving them a leg up. And most of them 
likely are not looking for handouts. You, you know, they're looking for some help, perhaps, or a way to get out of the conditions they live in. Here's some kids enjoying their toys, which in this case is a live chicken and some old bottles. Their siblings or cousins, the joys they have with the little things in life, Irene writes. We reminisce about the good old days. It's just, I can't, I can't post any more of that stuff. It's unbelievable. If you, uh, if you want to help, get in touch with some of the NGOs here. Look up Irene Hashem over on, Hisham over on uh, Facebook. She's involved with a lot of these groups, and I'm sure she can put you on the right path to, to, uh, to finding ways to help. All right. Man, we've been doing down stuff for most of this show tonight. <laughs> I didn't want to do it that way, but it just so happens. Some of them are like that. Um, okay, we need some inspiration. We need a bit of a pick-me-up. This is one. I love this one. Uh, this showed up on, uh, where is it? I don't know what this is, actually. It's from a, uh, a Facebook page called Life of a Server, as in restaurant servers. But this is brilliant. This is absolutely uh, heartwarming. This kind of stuff restores your faith in humanity. Uh, somebody called Leprosy says, A restaurant in my hometown got a review that said the servers should, quote, show some skin, end quote. Sexist, ridiculous comment. Anyway, so the owner added a potato skin special to the menu. Potato skin. And all the proceeds from the special are going to go to the West Virginia Foundation for Rape Information Services. Yes. And as this person replied, that is exactly the appropriate response. So when you get some sexist moron that says something like this, show some skin, they're going to show some skin, potato skins, and donate all the proceeds to the West Virginia Foundation for Rape Information Services. We love this. <laughs> Oh, man. All right, one more, and then we got to get into our book tonight. Um, do you have frozen food in your freezer? That Well, of course, if it's in your freezer, the chances are it's frozen. So let me start again. Take two. Do you have food in your freezer that is frozen that's... I did it again, huh? It still doesn't make any sense. All right, never mind. Do you have food that's been there for more than six months? Do you have something in your freezer maybe that you're not even sure what it is anymore? I, <laughs> I don't, actually. My freezer, I have a, a small refrigerator. It's just slightly shorter than I am, and I'm not tall. Um, and it's got the top compartment, which is inside the refrigerator itself. You know the, the style. So it's, it's very small uh, freezer, maybe like this, and I don't know a foot deep. Um, there's not a lot of space in there for hardly an ice cube tray, let alone food, but I do keep some food in there, some frozen vegetables and things. But we had a discussion today. I went into the office for the first time in another few weeks, but we had a big meeting at the office today. So the discussion came up completely off topic that um, 
one of our people that we work with had got food from his mom from a few weeks ago and it was in the freezer and he was afraid to eat it because it had been three weeks but it was still frozen my friend let me tell you jay the other jay it's only been three weeks however sensitive your stomach is it's fine thaw it out cook it thoroughly and you'll be fine don't waste food that's literally I, and you know when I it's funny because I swear these social media sites listen to your thoughts this showed up on my timeline when I got home <laughs> the, you got to see the picture connected to this folks if you're listening to the podcast audio only check out my rumble.com slash J Sheldon channel the vegetables you bought a month ago watching you get pizza rolls out of the refrigerator for the fourth day in a row. <laughs> it's, it's a picture of some zombie from The Walking Dead. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much my refrigerator. That, that kind of describes it all. But no, seriously, if you, I mean, there is such a thing as freezer burn. And when stuff's been in the freezer too long, it will get burned. Uh, it's kind of a misnomer, but it basically means it's been frozen so long it's gone past, you know, anything related to food. But it's pretty obvious when freezer burn happens. And in fact, look, I'm no uh, health nut, obviously, and I'm certainly not a doctor or a food dietitian. But, uh, you know, if, if you cook this thoroughly and you taste it and it tastes off, not just don't eat it, but honestly, for the most part, things that have been in the freezer for months are still good. They're still okay. Don't waste food, all right? Okay, enough of that silliness. <laughs> I just had to share that because it is the strangest thing that this just suddenly came out. Um when I was just talking about it and, and boom, there's this meme, meme on, uh, on, on Facebook. I, they're listening to your thoughts. I'm telling you, they are listening to everything you do. Yeah. By the way, what about that big outage? Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all down. And the funny thing is, is that when I woke up this morning, Everybody, all my friends from the U.S. and the U.K. and different parts of the planet, they're all talking about this giant Facebook outage. Well, let me tell you, we here in Asia, we slept through it. It happened when we were all in bed asleep for the most part. So whatever that big outage was that everybody uh, suffered through barely affected us over here at all because when we went to bed at 11, 12 o'clock, Everything was working fine. And when we woke up at six, seven or eight this morning, everything was still working fine. So, uh, yeah, I'm sorry if you had to live through a, a moment without Facebook or Instagram or Twitter in your life. But um, I, I'm, I'm sure you managed to get through it. The giant Facebook outage of 2021. I get a, get a I survived T-shirt. <laughs> Unbelievable. All right. 
it's time to move on to our book here tonight. And uh, we've got, of course, whoops, not that one. It's Orson Welles. Where's Orson? Mm, where's my slide? There it is. That was from an old show. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, here we go. Uh, Orson Welles' The War of the Worlds, published for the first time as a magazine serial back in um, 1897 and first published as a book in 1898, so way over 100 years ago. And as you know, we've been reading uh, the book a chapter or a half chapter at a time because as we get later on in the book, these chapters get quite long, so we've been splitting them in two. But it is the original H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds, and we are on chapter 16, and uh, it's called The Exodus from London. So, uh, by the way, if you'd like, check out the Gutenberg Project. It's gutenberg.org, where you'll find all these amazing books in the public domain, uh, HTML format, text files, Word docs, and ebooks in some cases. And all the classics are there. We have read The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, The Little Prince, uh, Peter Pan, Alice in Wonderland, uh, The Velveteen Rabbit. Right now we're doing The War of the Worlds, and we'll figure out when we get closer to the end what our next book will be. It looks like the way things are going with this, it's going to come up being finished right around Halloween, which is not a bad thing because you all know about the Orson Welles version of The, uh, the War of the Worlds. Um, yeah. So let's, uh, let's get into it. It's uh, chapter 16 from H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds, this chapter called the Exodus from London. Just so you understand the roaring wave of fear that swept through the greatest city in the world just as Monday was dawning, the stream of flight rising swiftly to a torrent, lashing in a foaming tumult around the railroad, sta railroad stations, banking up into a horrible struggle about the shipping in the Thames, and hurrying by every available channel northward and eastward. By 10 o'clock, the police organizations, and by midday, even the railway organizations, were losing coherency, losing shape and efficiency, guttering, softening, running at last in that swift liquefaction of the social body. All the railway lines north of the Thames and the southeastern people at Cannon Street had been worn by midnight on Sunday. The trains were being filled. People were fighting savagely for standing room in the carriages, even at two o'clock. By three, people were being trampled and crushed, even in Bishopsgate Street, a couple of hundred yards or more from the Liverpool Street Station. Revolvers were fired, people stabbed, and the policemen who had been sent to direct traffic, exhausted, infuriated, were breaking the heads of the people they were called out to protect. And as the day advanced, and the engine drivers and stokers refused to return to London, the pressure of the flight drove the people in an ever-thickening multitude away from the stations and along the northward running roads. By midday, a Martian had been seen at Barnes, and a cloud of slowly sinking black vapor drove along the Thames and across the flats of Lambeth, cutting off all escape over the bridges in its sluggish advance. 
Another bank drove over Ealing and surrounded a little island of survivors on Castle Hill, alive but unable to escape. After a fruitless struggle to get aboard a northwestern train at Chalk Farm, the engines of the train that had loaded in the good yards were plowed through shrieking people, and a dozen stalwart men fought to keep the crowd from crushing the driver against his furnace. My brother emerged upon the Chalk Farm Road and dodged across through a hurrying swarm of vehicles. He had the luck to be foremost in the sack of a cycle shop. The front tire of the machine he got was punctured in dragging it through the window. He was, uh, he got up and off, and notwithstanding, with no further injury than a cut wrist. The steep foot of Haverstock Hill was impassable, owing to several overturned horses, and my brother struck onto Belize Road. So he got out of the fury, out of the panic, and skirting the Edgware Road, reached Edgware about seven, fasting and wearied, but well ahead of the crowd. Along the road, people were standing in the roadway, curious, wondering. He was passed by a number of cyclists, some horsemen, and two motor cars. A mile from Edgware, the rim of the wheel broke, and the machine became unrideable. He left it by the roadside and trudged through the village. There were half-shops, half-opened in the main street of the place. The people crowded on the pavement and in doorways and windows, staring astonished at this extraordinary procession of fugitives that was beginning. He succeeded in getting some food at an inn. For a time he remained in Edgware, not knowing what next to do. The flying people increased in number. Many of them, like my brother, seemed inclined to loiter in the place. There was no fresh news of the invaders from Mars. At that time, the road was crowded, but as yet far from congested. Most of the fugitives at that hour were mounted on cycles, but there were soon motor cars, handsome cabs, and carriages hurrying along, and the dust hung in heavy clouds along the road to St. Albans. It was perhaps a vague idea of making his way to Chelmsford, where some friends of his lived, that at last introduced my brother to strike into a quiet lane running eastward. Presently he came upon a stile, and crossing it, followed a footpath northeastward. He passed near several farmhouses, and some little places whose names he had not learned. He saw a few fugitives, until... In a grass lane towards Hugh, a high barnet, he happened upon two ladies who became his fellow travelers. He came upon them just in time to save them. He heard their screams and hurrying around the corner, saw a couple of men struggling to drag them out of the little pony chaise in which they had been driving, while a third with difficulty held the frightened pony's head. One of the ladies, a short woman dressed in white, was simply screaming. The other, a dark, slender figure, slashed out at the man who gripped her arm with a whip she held in her disengaged hand. My brother immediately grasped the situation, shouted, and hurried towards the struggle. One of the men desisted and turned towards him, and my brother, realizing from his antagonist's face that a fight was unavoidable, and being an expert boxer, 
went into him forthwith, and sent him down against the wheel of the chaise. There was no time for pugilistic chivalry, and my brother laid him quiet with a kick, and gripped the collar of the man who pulled at the slender lady's arm. He heard the clatter of hoofs. The whip stung across his face. A third antagonist struck him between the eyes, and the man he held wrenched himself free and made off down the lane in the direction from which he'd come. Partly stunned, he found himself facing the man who had held the horse's head and became aware of the chaise receding from him down the lane, swaying from side to side, and with the woman in it looking back. The man before him, a burly rough, tried to close, and he stopped him with a blow to the face. Then, realizing he was deserted, he dodged round and made off down the lane after the chaise, with the sturdy man close behind him and the fugitive, who had turned now, following remotely. Suddenly, he stumbled and fell. His immediate pursuer went headlong, and he rose to his feet to find himself with a couple of antagonists again. He would have had little chance against them had not the slender lady very pluckily pulled up and returned to his help. It seemed she had a revolver all this time, but it had been under the seat where she and her companion were attacked. She fired at six yards' distance, narrowly missing my brother. The less courageous of the robbers made off, and his companion followed him, cursing his cowardice. They both stopped in sight down the lane, where the third man lay insensible. "'Take this!' said the slender lady, and she gave my brother her revolver. "'Go back to the chaise,' said my brother, wiping the blood from his split lip. She turned without a word, and they were both panting, and they went back to where the lady in white struggled to hold back the frightened pony." The robbers had evidently had enough of it when my brother looked again. They were retreating. I'll sit here, said my brother, if I may. And he got upon the empty front seat. The lady looked over her shoulder. Give me the reins, she said, and laid the whip across the pony's side. In another moment, a bend in the road hid the three men from my brother's eyes. So quite unexpectedly, my brother found himself panting with a cut mouth, a bruised jaw, and blood-stained knuckles driving along an unknown lane with these two women. He'd learned they were the wife and the younger sister of a surgeon living at Stanmore, who'd come into the small hours from a dangerous case at Pinner and heard at some railway station on his way of the Martian advance. He'd hurried home, roused the women, their servants left them two days before, packed some provisions, put his revolver under the seat, luckily for my brother, and told them to drive on to Edgware with the idea of getting a train there. He stopped behind to tell the neighbors. He would overtake them, he said, at about half past four in the morning, and now it was clearly nine, and they'd seen nothing of him. They couldn't stop in Edgware because of the growing traffic through the place, so they'd come to this side lane. That was the story they told my brother in fragments, when presently they stopped again 
nearer to New Barnett. He promised to stay with them until at least they could determine what to do, or until the missing man arrived and professed to be an expert shot with the revolver, a weapon strange to him, in order to give them confidence. They made a sort of encampment by the wayward, and the pony became happy in the hedge. He told them of his own escape out of London and all that he knew of these Martians and their ways. The sun crept higher in the sky, and after a time the talk died out and gave place to an uneasy state of anticipation. Several wayfarers came along the lane, and of these my brother gathered such news as he could. Every broken answer he had deepened his impression of the great disaster that had come on humanity, deepened his persuasion of the immediate necessity for persecuting this flight. He urged the matter upon them. We have money, said the slender woman, and hesitated. Her eyes met my brother's, and her hesitation ended. So have I, said my brother. She explained that they had as much as thirty pounds in gold besides a five-pound note, and suggested that, with that, they might get a train at St. Albans or New Barnett. My brother thought that was hopeless, seeing the fury of the Londoners to crowd upon the trains, and broached his own idea of striking across Essex towards Harwich, and thence escaping from the country altogether. Mrs. Elphinstone, that was the name of the woman in white, would listen to no reasoning, and kept calling upon George, but her sister-in-law was astonishingly quiet and deliberate, and at last agreed to my brother's suggestion. So, designing to cross the great north road, they went on towards Barnett, my brother leading the pony to save it as much as possible. And as the sun crept up the sky, the day became excessively hot, and underfoot a thick, whitish sand grew burning and blinding, so that they traveled only very slowly. The hedges were gray with dust, and as they advanced towards Barnett, a tumultuous murmuring grew stronger. And that's where we will leave it for tonight. All right. <laughs> Halfway through chapter 16 of H.G. Wells' The War of the Worlds. Brilliant. Cool book. All right. It, it takes some getting used to because, again, this was the late 1800s when it was written, so the time and the references are a bit odd. But... Uh, Interesting, nevertheless. We've got about uh, about another seven or eight chapters to go in this book before we're done. Gutenberg.org, thank you for all the great books that you supply. It's a free service. Go over there and check out uh, Gutenberg.org. All right, my friends, if you'd like to help out uh, sponsoring the show and give us a little support, go to patreon.com slash jsheldon. You'll find three different tier levels of support that you can do. Uh, one is just a very small little amount to help uh, support the show in, in small doses and a couple of other uh, tier levels there too. Patreon.com slash Sheldon. I will see you again on Saturday night for another edition of the show. 
thank you for all your downloads and subscriptions and likes and shares. Uh, all you podcast listeners, we appreciate that uh, very, very much. And uh, thanks again. I will see you on Saturday night. Until then, I'm Jay Sheldon. And I'm not wearing pants. Good night. <laughs>